0: You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. All right, so we're looking back over uh, chapters 13 and 14. So for those that are visiting, uh, we step back every four to five, six weeks after we've taught through either a chapter of Scripture or a couple of chapters of Scripture. We step back and we remind ourselves of some of the things that we've learned, and then we talk specifically about application points how to make sure we're being doers of the word and not hearers only. So going back to Genesis 13 and 14, you'll remember we've talked about Abram and Lot having to separate, that there was a dispute over the financial resources that they both possessed that was causing uh, some grumbling and complaining with their servants. So they had to separate. We said that through that separation, Lot goes down to the Sodom area. There's an invasion of armies. He gets captured. His family gets run off. Abram has to go and and bring them back. That led to the encounter with Melchizedek. And then last week we began to look at God reaffirming the covenant with Abram. All right, so looking back to chapter 13, the summary sentence from when we first started that section, when we trust in God's promises (coughs) of good intent, it frees us from seeking our personal rights. Increase in personal riches and the fulfillment of our flesh, allowing us to instead pursue relationships of peace and environments of purity. All right, so during that week, we talked about how um, Abram had to separate from Lot, but that he willingly gave up his own rights. He didn't try to choose what was best for him. Instead, he put the needs of Lot above his own needs, and that that led to... um, reconciliation. It led to a a resolution to the problem. You'll remember that we talked about financial gain sometimes causing more problems than it does solutions. We saw that Abram had inherited a bunch of stuff in Egypt, that the Pharaoh had kind of gifted him things in exchange for his wife. He gives Sarah back, they leave, but they keep the financial gain, and it causes problems. And, And that's where we first started talking about the challenges that come with money and being a Christian. That scripture has all kinds of warnings about the dangers that money brings. And so we saw financial gain being sometimes a a problem more than a solution. Uh, But we also emphasized that seeking to meet the needs of others will always help resolve conflict. So our application from that week, we said to hold the world's goods loosely, seeing them as a resource to be shared rather than a treasure to be protected. Okay, and I posted a great article yesterday on the city for you guys to read. Hopefully you'll have time this week. If you haven't already read it, uh, through Desiring God, an article that talks about possessing our possessions rather than letting them possess us, using our possessions, using our resources to serve others rather than serving our possessions and trying to protect them. Uh, And the article talks about being able to enjoy art that you don't possess versus feeling the need to always purchase things and store them in your house as, as though that's the only way to enjoy God's creation. Uh, so holding the world's goods loosely, seeing them as a resource to share rather than something to always be protected. That led us into God's interaction with Lot, um, and we talked about God reviewing some of the promises that he has made to Abram. So reviewing the promises of God regularly is a needed discipline for the Christian that hopes to escape the temptations offered by this world. Okay, so we cling to God's promises. It protects us from being tempted by this world. God reaffirms promises to Abram. All right? And we said that as Christians, we need to remind ourselves constantly of God's good promises to us so that we're protected from this world. Um, in that sermon, we talked about believing in the promises of God's provision, allowing us to be generous with our possessions. When we believe that God's going to do good to us, It frees us to do good to others. We don't have to worry so much about ourselves. We can be concerned about the needs of others. God wants to use circumstances, people, and things to test us and bring out the best in us. And we see God doing that with Abram in these stories. Our application from that week, we must regularly treasure and meditate on his promises in order to battle sinful desires with superior pleasures. And we highlighted some of God's big promises that he's made to us in scripture. The fact that he's promised us forgiveness, he's promised us freedom from sin, he's promised us favor or good intent, he works all things for the good of his children. We've talked about God promising us family, that through uh, our spiritual connection with each other that we enjoy a a family type relationship, and then obviously God giving us a future that we have to look forward to as well as believers. Um, That moved us into uh, chapter 14. Uh, which is where Abram and Lot have separated and now Abram has to come to the rescue. And we said, as believers, we're called to act justly and sacrificially towards those around us, regardless of how they have treated us, with the ultimate goal of God receiving glory through our actions. And you'll remember in that account, we said that Lot had kind of done Abram wrong, Abram says, pick which land you want. I'm going to let you choose first, even though I'm the elder. Even though God promised me the land, he lets Lot choose. And Lot chooses the best. I mean, he just kind of throws Abram under the bus and takes what he wants and runs off with it. And then he ends up being captured. And rather than Abram sitting back and saying, well, you're reaping what you're sowing. This is is what you chose for yourself. Abram does the right thing and acts justly and sacrificially towards Lot. Even though he really didn't deserve it from a human standpoint. He goes after Lot rescues them. And then even when the king of Sodom wants to give glory to Abram, uh, Abram is very quick to diffuse that and give glory to God. Um, in, In that, we also talked about how God had protected Abram in ways that Abram did not anticipate. Remember, we said Abram could have really sulked in that situation and said, wow, God took the best land and let Lot take it. and Now I'm stuck here with the with the less desirable land. And we said that God had protection in mind for Abram, that God actually orchestrated those events to where Lot gets captured and Abram's able to go rescue Lot. Had Lot given up the best land, Abram would have potentially been captured uh, in that situation. So God had uh, Abram's safety in mind in the midst of those circumstances. Uh, We also talked about Abram proactively fighting against the possible temptation of money. You'll remember that he tells the king of Sodom, the king of Sodom says, I'll give you everything, you give me my people back. Abram says, I made a covenant with God before I even went to get your people and possessions that I wasn't going to take anything. Abram anticipated this being a struggling point for him, and he said, I'm not taking anything. I took Pharaoh's stuff. It caused problems for my family. I'm not taking any of the spoils of war in this situation. So the application, my call to be a blessing to others should extend to those in my life that least deserve my blessings. For in so doing, I'm providing a living example of the gospel truths I claim to believe. You remember we correlated Abram leaving his home to go rescue Lot to the same picture that we have in Scripture of Christ leaving his home in heaven to come to this earth to rescue us from sin. The same picture. We don't deserve it. We, we, we don't, uh, we're not obligated. God's not obligated to save us from that. God willingly gives up his rights to come get us. Abram models that for us as believers as well. Um, That led us into our discussion with Melchizedek and we said that he's kind of thrown into there to that chapter Seems like an odd character. What's his purpose? We said that god firmly establishes the presence of Melchizedek in the past In order to rightly establish christ as the superior priest in the present That brings eternal righteousness and peace to his people So we said that hebrews really needs Uh, The book of Hebrews really needs the character of Melchizedek to validate the points that the author is trying to make about Jesus, that Jesus is a better priest. Um, And so he draws upon Melchizedek. And and if you weren't here for that sermon, I encourage you to go back and listen to it because there's such important truths there uh, regarding the personhood of Melchizedek and why he shows Jesus to be a better priest. Um, But ultimately, we see Jesus being the perfect bridge builder as our high priest forever, And then Hebrews 7.25 emphasizes that our future salvation uh, relies upon a priest that can regularly intercede for us, and that's Jesus um, in that role, which led us to our application that week. Because of our high priest, we can hold fast to our secure hope and feel free to encourage others. And then we paused and talked about what it means for Abram to give a tithe to Melchizedek. And what does that mean for us as New Testament believers Um, During that week we said that in order to fight our tendency to covet the things of this world We should pause and consider our giving habits regularly To ensure we are faithfully using what god has entrusted to us for his glory And the good of others so We here at sovereign hope don't believe that scripture mandates that you give a certain percentage We do believe the new testament teaches That we should give out of the abundance that god blesses us with And we should seek to use our money our resources, our time, everything that God gives us to be stewards of, we should use that for the good of others and for his glory. Because scripture doesn't tell us an exact amount, it puts responsibility on us to constantly step back and evaluate whether we're doing a good job of being stewards. It'd be easy if it was just a simple percentage, we plug that into our budget and we're done. But because we believe scripture's vague on how much we should be giving, it causes the need for us to step back and evaluate constantly. Um, giving Scripture teaches us that giving serves as an antidote for covetousness, um, and it increases our capacity for good works. So giving is a good step towards sanctification because it frees us from coveting the things of this world. Our application from that week uh, it was a question, is there anything that you cannot afford because as a Christ follower, your money is being spent elsewhere? Um, that should be the case. There should be things that as Christians that we can't afford like somebody else in our uh, economic uh, status could afford. Because we're Christians, because we're using our money differently, there ought to be some things that we're having to give up, things that we can't afford that somebody else who's not a believer that's making the same amount of money could afford. Um, And so I challenge you to be thinking through uh, that type of application. And then we talked about uh, because Scripture warns us that money has the capability of leading us away from the faith, we should give great consideration to the level of protection we establish in our life to ensure this never happens. We've looked at some New Testament passages that say for some, money has led them away from, from the faith. That it's become such a snare, such a stumbling block that it causes them to abandon the faith. Because that warning's in Scripture for us, we should evaluate and make sure that we have protection in place so that we don't get led astray by our love for money. Um, we said ultimately that this, this happens... Because we end up working harder for our money than we do at our own personal sanctification. That money leads us away because money becomes our our endeavor that we're pursuing. Whereas scripture tells us to pursue godly characteristics, to pursue our sanctification. We can't pursue both. Scripture teaches that. Jesus says you can't serve God and money. When we start to serve money, it naturally leads us away. It fills up our calendar to where we don't have time to pursue godly things. Um... which is our application, how could money cause me to wander? I begin to work harder for money than I do for sanctification, and the fruit of that labor continually leads me further into this world and further away from the world to come. And then last week, our summary sentence, we have been called to trust in a God who understands our needs in conjunction with his plan, offering appropriate promises of protection and provision to us. So last week we said that Abram turns down all the money that the king of Sodom wants to give him, and then we said, it's very possible that Abram left that exchange and then had second thoughts and said, did I make a mistake? There was a lot of money on the table there. Should I have, should I have kept that? That would have offered me a, a lot of provision. Wouldn't have to worry about anything. Our family would be taken care of. And if I ever needed to call upon an army to help me in case that army that I just defeated decides to come back, I would have money to buy protection. And God comes in in Genesis 15, one, and reaffirms that he is going to provide for Abram, that he is going to protect Abram, that he's his shield, that he's his great provider, that he's his great reward. We said that um, God possesses both the power and the love needed to continually offer us as believers protection and provision. God has all the power needed to provide for everyone in this room, and he also possesses the love for us that would cause him to always use his power that way. God never stops loving us. If he ever stopped loving us, then we could be fearful that while he still has the power to protect us, he still has the power to provide for us, that he might stop. He might look at us and say, I don't want to provide for you anymore. I don't want to protect you anymore. You're not worthy of it. But scripture teaches us that God possesses an all-encompassing love for us. And that offers encouragement that not only is he all powerful, he's all loving towards his children and will continue to provide and protect. Um, He shields us from Satan, from our enemies, from excessive temptation and bitterness. So our application last week, we must take care of our own hearts while relying on the exhortation of other believers in order to keep on believing that God will provide all things good to us as we wait for his return. All right, so let's talk some about application this morning. In our small groups this week, or this past week, we looked specifically at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Now, we've talked about this passage a little bit on a Sunday morning, but then hopefully you had good discussion in our C groups this past Wednesday regarding these three questions. So let's, let's read Hebrews three twelve through 14 again. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Okay, so when we looked at that passage, we said there's some dangers there. There's the possibility of an unbelieving heart, an unbelieving heart that would lead us to fall away from the living God. So what's at stake here is our perseverance in the faith. Will we finish to the end what we claim to have started? We say we follow Jesus. Will we follow Jesus till the end? And the author of Hebrews says there's a real danger that you will stop believing. That you'll stop believing in what you claim to believe and you will fall away. And we wrestle through, well, what, what, what would that look like? Why would, why would anybody stop believing and fall away? And the scriptures tell us the deceitfulness of sin and a hardened heart would cause us to stop believing in the living God. So we have to protect ourselves from the deceitfulness of sin and a heart that grows hard. And thankfully, the passage tells us how to protect ourselves from the deceitfulness of sin and a hardened heart that would eventually lead to unbelief. It tells us to take care of ourselves and to exhort one another. Okay, So our questions that we're going to continue to wrestle through this morning and apply Can we fall away from the faith and forfeit the salvation we possessed? Is it possible for an individual to possess salvation and then forfeit their salvation, lose their salvation? The passage tells us we have come to um, we have come to share in Christ if we hold our original confidence firm to the end, seemingly implying that we only keep our salvation if we make it to the end. Okay, so we're going to talk in a minute what that means. What does it mean to personally take care of our hearts? How do we take care of ourselves? How do we embrace personal responsibility to keep believing in the living God? And then what does it mean to exhort and receive exhortation from others? How do we play this type of role in the life of somebody else? How do we receive it from somebody else? Okay, so let's talk first about can we fall away from the faith and forfeit our salvation? Any thoughts that came out from your C group that are worth sharing with us this morning? Anything that you guys discussed in regards to losing your salvation in your C group that you think would be helpful for everyone that wasn't in your C group this week? Anybody at all? Everybody forget what we talked about Wednesday. Good. Yep, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that point um, this morning. That's a great point. Other thoughts on this idea of forfeiting our salvation, losing our salvation. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. which is what Philippians 1 teaches us that when he starts a good work he finishes that work and so we have to take into account that scripture teaches that salvation is a work of God that's a gift from him and teaches us that when he starts that he carries it to completion You have to be unsealed with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You know, we talked in our group that this is an important conversation. It's not just a lofty theological conversation. Can we lose our salvation, or do we always keep it? That it's very relevant for people that we engage with on a daily basis. And there's there's two there's two things that make this topic important. One, there are people that we will encounter that 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 are are serious in their belief and what i mean by that is that they are very concerned that there is the possibility of doing something that would cause them to forfeit god's love to them there are people that operate in that belief system that if i do something so bad you know that they're 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 conditioned to believe because of human relationships that if i if i mess up so bad that god may opt out Okay, so there's some people that we encounter that that need us to have a good understanding of this to help them understand that there's not one thing that they can do that would cause God to say, hey, I loved you when you were a sinner. But now that you're a saint, I've stopped loving you. Right. There's also the people that will hold so tightly to this doctrine and say one cannot lose their salvation and will will in their minds Uh, discuss someone's salvation as an experience that happened. I remember when they prayed that prayer. I remember when they walked the aisle. Yes, everything after the fact looks so contrary to what the gospel says, but I'm holding so fast to my family member making a confession of faith, I won't even entertain the idea that they might still need the gospel today, that they never truly were were, um, the good soil that the gospel fell upon. So there's two people there. People that are so fearful of of forfeiting God's love because of a simple mistake. Others that will claim God's love to their deathbed that have never really had God's love. that they, they, they made a confession of faith, wasn't genuine, there's no fruit, they continue to wallow in sin contrary to the gospel, but will say, I was saved when I was a kid, I certainly haven't lost my salvation. So there's There's reasons why this is important. It's not just a theological topic to discuss in the confines of this building. There are people that need us to have a good knowledge of this to give them good truth. Okay? In our group, we talked about uh, three perspectives on our salvation. One, um, let me put it on the board here. Oh. Hang on. We'll be back up here in just a second. Nope, no music needed yet. All right, all right. So we talked in our group about the idea that there there are three perspectives on our salvation that are worth us uh, remembering. Here, all right. We talked about the fact that we have been saved. All right. So from a past tense standpoint, we have been saved. We have been justified in the past. So it's correct to talk about our salvation being a past event for all of us that are saved. There was a time when we crossed from death to life. All right. Jesus talks about that, that we cross from death to life. So, really, what's at stake here is is it possible to cross from life back into death? Okay? But the Bible talks at times about our salvation being a past tense type of situation that we were saved, we were reconciled, we were justified. We also talked in our group, though, that Scripture at times talks about our salvation being an ongoing thing that's current. So, there's also the perspective that we are being saved currently. Okay? Um, that it's a a perseverance type of thing, Second Peter chapter one gives us this type of perspective. Second Peter one verse ten. therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. for in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ. So if you back up from that, it talks about the qualities that need to be developing in our life, the sanctification that needs to be happening uh, in order for us to be saved. Okay? So then there's this also uh, this concept that's communicated for us that we will be saved in the future. So scripture talks about us in a past tense situation being saved. There's also this concept of us being saved currently and then the idea of us being saved in the future, our glorification, the end goal of our salvation. Okay, We've talked already that Jesus is the one who starts and finishes our salvation. Scripture says he's our author and our finisher of our faith. Um, scripture talks about in Ephesians 1, 3 through 4 that he will present us home uh, holy and blameless, that there's not a question as to whether or not he will bring our salvation to completion. In Ephesians 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So he's going to bring our salvation to completion. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 and you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, so we've been saved, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So there's this idea that there's still salvation to come for us in the future if indeed you continue in the faith, the present salvation. You only, you only get the future salvation if you continue in the faith currently. Okay, so different aspects of our salvation being discussed in Scripture. Now, Dan brings up the point that I really wanted to emphasize this morning. What the passage tells us in Hebrews chapter 3 is that we have come to share in Christ now if we hold our original confidence until the end. Okay, verse 14. We have come to share in Christ now. Now. If indeed we hold our original confidence to the end. So the question is, am I saved right now? And Hebrews is telling us, yes, if you remain faithful to the end. Now, to misunderstand this passage would be to say that I'm not saved right now and will only be saved if I stay faithful to the end. As though if I get to the very end and God says, well done. What a great life you lived. You have earned salvation. That's a complete misunderstanding of this this verse. Okay? It's talking about present tense and future tense. Am I a Christian right now? The author of Hebrews says, yes, if you make it to the end. Now, we talked in in our small group, well, how do I have assurance of my salvation right now if I don't know what the end looks like? You have assurance. You have confidence. And you're the only one that does. You're the only one that knows your heart. You're the only one that can see into the depths of your soul as to whether or not you are a true believer or not. I have as much assurance as I can about you without seeing into your souls. See, I believe that there was a time when Paul and Demas were in a relationship, in a small group, in a a situation where Paul would have said, Demas, my friend Demas is a believer. And yet we find that Paul communicates what Demas has abandoned me for the things of this world. The language being, he's left and he's not coming back. He looked like a Christian. That, that picture of that sower, the, the, the plant sprung up, but it was choked out very quickly by the things of this world. See, Paul got burned at times by people in ministry because he could not see into their souls. Judas would have given off the appearance of being a true follower of Christ. He's not. When his, when his heart is finally exposed, we see that there's something not right in the inner workings of his soul. So you as an individual can have full assurance of your salvation. As believers looking into your life, we can be confident but not fully assured until we see what transpires in the end. Okay? Um, We have come to share in Christ right now if we hold our original confidence to the end. Um, So let's look at that a little bit more in depth. We have not come to share in Christ now if we do not hold our original confidence until the end. So as Dan was saying, it's not that if we don't remain faithful to the end that we forfeit our salvation or lose our salvation. It's Paul's telling or the author of Hebrews is telling us you never possessed it currently right now. Are you saved right now? Yes, if you make it to the end. If you don't make it to the end, you aren't saved right now. It's not that you are both saved and one of you stays saved until the end. Okay, hopefully you understand the difference there. I'm not going to trip over that again. All right, so looking at it again, if we are saved right now, we will be saved then. If we are not saved in the end, we are not saved right now. Now, it would be incorrect to say that if we're not saved right now, we won't be saved in the end, because who knows what the Holy Spirit does between now and the end, right? So there's plenty of people that aren't saved right now, That by God's grace will be saved when the end comes. Because they're going to get saved after the right now. You see the difference there though? What's what's at stake is am I a Christian right now? Yes if you make it to the end. No if you don't make it to the end. It's not that both people are saved and one loses their salvation and one retains it. It's that one was never saved and one was. And it shows in the way that they live that fruitful sanctifying life after the fact. We've used the illustration before. If you didn't know anything about seeds and you had a pumpkin seed and a watermelon seed and you wanted to know which one is a watermelon seed, you put both in the ground and you see what happens after a couple of months. One will produce a watermelon, one will not, right? It's not that one becomes a watermelon seed after he produces a watermelon and one fails to become a watermelon because it doesn't produce. One was a watermelon seed from the very beginning and one was not. But if you didn't know anything about seeds, you wouldn't know which was which until you saw what the end outcome was. That's what's being portrayed here in Hebrews. One is a Christian, and one may not be a Christian. And we understand salvation when we see the end come and who remains faithful to the end. Because Hebrews is all about perseverance. It's all about faithfulness. It's all about staying true and confident to the belief that we claim to have from the very beginning. We keep on believing. We don't fall away. Okay? Which then leads us back to the discussion, how do we keep on believing? If we're a true believer, how do we keep on believing? And that's where we had the discussion about what does it mean to take care and what does it mean to exhort and receive exhortation. So from your small groups this week, what are some things that you guys talked about that involve us taking care of ourselves that we could share with each other as points of application? How do we take care of our hearts? Okay, so putting yourself in relationship to exhort others. Okay, we'll put that in there. Uh, being in relationship with other Christians. All right, what else? What are other ways that we take care of our, our own hearts? Embrace personal responsibility. What's that? Okay. You know, that came up several times in our application. Just the, the responsibility that we have to meditate on the promises of God. Uh, to continually put ourselves in the word, we can be refreshed by the word. We can be reminded of the word. It's so important that we have that time in the word. And we're going to talk about that in a minute in regards to exhorting each other, that we have to exhort each other with the word, that people don't need your opinions and your perspectives. They need you to remind them of the word when they've forgotten the word. Now, your experiences and 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 whatnot can be Tied into that, but it's got to be filtered through the word because ultimately the word is what sustains us Okay Other things that that are involved in us taking care of ourselves Okay Okay Yep Yep, that's one thing that we talked about in our group was anticipating what dangers exist for us and then putting protective measures in place to guard ourselves, right? Um, We talked a little bit about what are some of the big hindrances that cause people to fall away from the faith, right? And I actually posted on Facebook and got a bunch of responses of people that either have seen people fall away from the faith or there were some on there that said, I've actually walked away from the faith and here's why. Um, So if you want to see those responses, you can go under my Facebook. What we came up with in our group is that oftentimes money... Money does play a part in people falling away from the faith. Now, they wouldn't come right out and say it, but again, I started working more hours. My My calendar started to fill up. I was not spending as much time at church, right? I began to enjoy my possessions. So instead of coming to church, my family started to enjoy the possessions on a Sunday, and it led us away, and eventually we just decided life was better not going back than Um, than what it had been like when we were there, right? So money oftentimes is a hindrance and causes people to fall away from the faith. Sex is also a tool that has been used by the enemy to pull people away from the faith, right? Mandates about who, when, and where, those type of things are found in scripture, and our sinful nature bucks that system, okay? Rebels against that, and a lot of times... Because the two don't go together or should not go together in a Bible-believing church where, where a church will not allow people to make sinful choices in that area and it be tolerated, it necessarily moves people away from the faith. I choose this over the way God says to have it, right? Um, tragedy. Tragedies oftentimes lead people to walk away from the faith. I don't know how to reconcile a good God with what I'm experiencing, Right. We talked about that last week. How does a, how does a young girl 2021 lose her husband in a in a hiking accident? Right. How does she lose her husband and continue to believe that God is good and has good intent for her? She reads it in scripture, but what she's experiencing seems to be very contrary to what she knows is a promise. And you experience a couple of those back to back and you start saying, no, what, what I found is that God is not good. And I'm not going to see it to the end and see if he produces good through this situation. I'm going to pull out right now. Tragedy oftentimes causes people to wander from the faith. And so in our group, we talked about identifying, you know, just getting real honest with yourself and saying, what would rock my faith? What would it take to cause me to question, is this worth persevering to the end with? Money, sex, would it be a tragedy that would cause your faith to be questioned by you? Identifying what would be the danger for you and then setting up protective measures so that it never becomes a real danger, right? And I shared in my group, there are things that I've shared with my accountability group that are not an issue for me right now. But I've shared with them and said, this could be an issue if I don't intentionally guard against it. So I'm not confessing something to you I am asking you to pray for me about this so that I never have to confess it to you. Right? That's what accountability provides. It's not just a, a means for us to say, here's where I messed up. Here's where I messed up. It's also an environment, hopefully, and we want it to be in our church, where you can come with other men, other women, and say, here's where I could potentially mess up. Help me never go down that path. Help me never go down that path where I have to confess this type of thing to you. Okay? So that's one area that we talked about, that, that, that being on guard. What would cause me to wander what would cause me to doubt and how can I reinforce that area in my life? Anything else that you guys talked about in your group? Right. Good. These are things that have to be scheduled, right? Um, being in relationship with Christians, making sure that my, my calendar stays free enough so that I can be in meaningful relationships, right? Meaningful relationships come with time, not being sporadic, right? It, it comes with time. Being in the word requires time. I've got to schedule that into my busy week or it won't happen. Rarely does anybody sit down and say, "Wow, well, I've got nothing to do for the next couple of hours. I'm going to open up the Bible, right? When we do find gaps in our schedule, usually it's, I'm going to lay on the couch and watch TV. I actually have a break in my schedule. I'm going to rest. I'm going to relax. Most of us aren't pulling books off the shelf and, and wanting to study and, and pray, right? Those things have to be factored into our schedule. Um, so, so it's important to, 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 note that, um, I think as well. And then one thing that, that I shared in our group that, uh, a guy at our school mentioned in chapel this week, um, that, that, I think is an encouragement that we don't always think about being an encouragement, right? So we talk about on Sundays that we want to come and that we sing songs to the Lord, that, that this is a way that we worship him, but we haven't just replaced sacrifices with songs, Like, that's not our replacement in the New Testament. Here we bring a sacrifice of praise to you. There is an aspect where what we sing is directed to the Lord. But Ephesians 5.19 talks about us greeting each other with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And the guy that was speaking in our chapel this week emphasized that when we come together to sing, yes, we sing to Jesus, but we also sing to each other. And I don't know if you've ever thought about your role here on a Sunday morning being to encourage others with your singing. See, It's very easy for someone to come in and say, I'm not a very good singer. Um, I don't know this song, even though Tyson preps us before we come about what songs we're going to sing, if we just factor that into our schedule, right? But we come in and we say, I'm not going to sing. I'm not a very good singer. I love to hear other people sing. But there are others that come in and say, I don't feel like singing today because, because I'm questioning whether what I'm experiencing is the promises that I've seen in Scripture. And a lot of times we can be encouraged by the singing of other people. The loud singing of other people who are proclaiming the truths that we know are true. We're just questioning if they're true for us right now. And the Bible talks about us greeting each other and encouraging each other through song. And I know for me... The best worship experiences for me, if we want to talk in those terms, it's not when the singers are great. It's not when the songs are great. It's not when the instruments are great. It's when the people around me are singing in such a way where it almost drowns out my song so that I feel like I can sing as well, but I'm so encouraged by the people singing around me. So that's that's a minor thing that we talked about in our group, to even come with the perspective on Sunday mornings, I'm going to sing, I'm going to know what songs we're singing, I'm going to sing loudly to encourage those around me. To help them uh, take care of themselves and to exhort them uh, through my own singing. Okay, so taking care of ourselves. these These are things that need to be applied in our life. What does it mean to exhort and to receive exhortation? Any thoughts from your groups on exhorting each other and receiving exhortation that you'd like to share? anybody at all what does it mean to exhort how do we receive exhortation I can I can summarize. Uh-huh. Okay. Right. Okay. You know, First Thessalonians five one uh, reminds us of our responsibility to uh, encourage one another, uh, to build one another up. It says, therefore, encourage one another, build one another up, just as you are doing. What does it mean to exhort one another? To encourage one another is essentially what what's being communicated there. That it is not kind of feel all going to work out and it's and those things are true. Right. I goes back to one thing that we talked about was strongly the word the word, more than feel better. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the experiences come in, where the more we can take our own experiences and, and relate to them and say, okay. So the answer to your problem is that God works all things for good, but we're not going to just jump to the solution and expect you to embrace that. I'm going to walk with you through this. I'm going to remind you of times when I was in similar spots and I got to the end and, and saw the good that came from it so that I can testify that this is true but then also potentially laboring with them through it and helping them see good that maybe they're missing in the situation as well and helping them identify as God is working good for them, being that spokesperson, spokesperson for God in saying, here's some good, here's some good that's coming from this and not just walking away, you know, here's, here's a verse for you, now I'm, I'm done, I've done my deed, but kind of helping them embrace that as you help identify or situations in the circumstance uh, that maybe point to the truth of those verses. I don't know how to summarize that though. So um, we'll just you're just reinforcing speak truth to others with examples see, with, with examples. And the great thing is that even when we don't have our own uh, resources to pull upon, maybe we don't have a plethora of experiences to to pass on. What's great is that we have scriptural stories to pull from as well because Romans 15.4 says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. So even being able to draw upon the Old Testament, because in the context, this, this all he really has to refer to when he talks about Scripture is the Old Testament. So he's saying, Old Testament, lots of stories. They're written for our encouragement and for our endurance so that we hold to the hope that we have. And so even if you feel like, okay, I haven't had a lot of tragedies in my life that I can pull from, there are tragedies in Scripture that we can pull from that were written for our encouragement and for our endurance as well. And I think that's important um, to keep in mind, and then you know, as Sarah's saying, pointing to these promises again, Hebrews chapter twelve, uh, verse five, kind of ties the content of our exhortation back to it being full of Scripture. Hebrews twelve five says, uh, "And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons?" My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So uh, there's exhortation contained there in Scripture. Reminders about how God interacts with his children that we need to draw upon both for ourselves and to be able to remind others. And then also in Second Peter chapter 1... Um, Verse 3, His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. So allowing allowing Scripture to be uh, the, the content of our exhortation I think is really important. Mm -hmm. right and it's always better received from people that we consider to be in relationship with us you know like if it's somebody that we know loves us and has demonstrated care for us it's not somebody that That's on the other side of the church building that we rarely talk to that feels compelled to just come up and share words of wisdom with us that day. And that's why we've broken our church membership up into small groups and then even further into accountability groups. And that's why when you join, we ask you to write down the names of two people that you are willing to listen to. If, if it comes to the fact that you're not listening to the gospel anymore and, you, and you're, you're blinded by sin, that, that we can know who to send to you that you're most likely to receive it from. I think that's, that's, that's the mindset behind why we've structured our membership the way that we have, because we want to know who's best to speak to you. Um, that's why the accountability group is so important, and, I, and it requires vulnerability on our part to, to receive exhortation. A lot of times I need to know how to exhort somebody so that they can receive exhortation from me and that goes back to what we talked about several months ago that for the doctor to help you the doctor needs to know what's going on with you so a lot of times they're going to ask you questions they want to know the symptoms so that they can best treat you and for our accountability groups here to work to their fullest potential it, it requires us being vulnerable to say here's my danger spots here's how to encourage me to avoid those danger spots so that I can receive it from you when I need it because I've told you how to to exhort me. There, there's an element there I think that's needed too for us to communicate with each other how we're best exhorted because we all we all are encouraged differently. Some of us uh, require the in your face type of encouragement. Others of us need a, a more passive approach where we where we're prompting and, and, and receiving that. And so I think that's helpful when we're able to be vulnerable in our in our accountability groups. Um other thoughts on this Yeah, and that's kind of the last thing I had in my notes was um, Hebrews ten twenty four and 25. Let me read that first before I make the last point. Um, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There's a couple of things that stood out to me differently. I've read that passage a ton of times individually. We've read that passage probably every other week from, from the pulpit here. Uh, but there was a couple of elements that stood out to me that I hadn't really picked up on before. Um, one, the aspect of let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Applying that to our accountability groups. Um, we should, our meeting together needs to increase our capacity for love and the capacity for good works, right? So when we come together with accountability groups, we come together with a purpose. And we have to come in our minds thinking, what does my accountability group need for me tonight? What can I contribute to the group tonight to ensure that the people in my group will love Jesus more after our meeting tonight and will be compelled to, to good works, because of what happens tonight because that's what's supposed to be the fruit of meeting together we're supposed to stir each other up to love and good works right so Sunday mornings we should come not what am I going to get today what am I going to provide today for those that are there with me how am I going to stir other people up to love and good works Um, but then also it says that we should be not neglecting to meet as is the habit of some right and so you start to miss some things and then it becomes a habit, right? He says, Don't let not meeting together become a habit. Instead, instead he says, all the more as you see the day drawing near. And I was reading something about John MacArthur yesterday, and he he reminded me that, you know, there's been a lot of talk recently about the end of the world, right? Blood moons and signs and wonders, and Jesus is about to come back. And for a lot of us, we look at that and we say No, like that 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 seems inconsistent with what we're told to look for but it should be a reminder to us that we are closer to the day of jesus's return today than we were the last time the blood moons were here right so what is true is that we are getting closer to jesus coming back and and i think it's interesting that the author of hebrews says your meeting together should be all the more as you see the day drawing near that the, the amount of times we meet, the consistency in our meetings should not be decreasing. It should really be increasing, right? Now, we as a church have minimized the mandated meetings, right? We don't have Sunday night services. We don't have Wednesday night services. A lot of what we do is once a month. But we've also communicated that part of that reasoning is so that you can schedule your own times to be with our church family. Right, we're not going to tell you to show up here at 7 o'clock on a Wednesday night when for some of us that time is awful for our schedule. We're not going to tell you to go home and put your kids to nap today and then be right back here at 5.30 for the 6 o'clock service. Right? I'm not going to tell myself to have a sermon ready tonight by 6 o'clock when I've had one ready for this morning. Right? But we have said, fill your schedule with time with church people. Why? Because the day is drawing near. Blood moons or not, Jesus is coming back at some point. And we live in a day and age, and we talked all through Thessalonians, greater satanic activity will happen before Jesus comes back. There's a greater deception coming, right? Antichrist or not, there is going to be more false teachers that show up. So the threat level continues to increase as we get closer to Jesus coming back, which mandates all the more that we need to be around Christian people to guard our unbelieving heart potential. Right. So so I was reminded again that we have to meet together now, again, don't expect to to hear next week that we're starting evening services and Wednesday night prayer meetings. And a lot of us that does that model doesn't work for our schedules. But that doesn't mean just come Sunday mornings and just meet once a month with your accountability group and you've done your duty at Sovereign Hope. We're giving you flexibility and responsibility. Meet with your church family. Have your church family over. Make time to spend time with church people. Your heart needs it. Your heart needs it. Scripture warns us that your heart needs it. If you're going to keep believing to the end, you need exhortation from other people. You need to put yourself in a position to receive that exhortation. All right? Um, any other thoughts? Yeah, it's it's uh, a times our exhortation is corrective in nature that what you're feeling is not the right feelings. And that's different than a secular type of um perspective on it, for sure. Yep. Mhm. so it's 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 um you're the the visual manifestation on a on a small level of what the Holy Spirit is in a perfect sense in the life of an individual um, unlike the Holy Spirit who is omnipresent you're not, and I think too it's a perspective of I can't help everybody and I can't be this for everybody nor should I expect nor should I expect one to two individuals to be this for everybody either, right? That we can't, we can't provide the type of support system that everybody needs with one or two individuals. That's why you're broken up into accountability groups because as shepherds of this church, the elders can't possibly exhort every single person in here as long as it's called today, right? We just can't. We are, we are finite. We are limited in our resources and ability to do that. Now, as elders, we need to be that within our accountability group. That's where that plays out for us, um, and that's where it plays out for you as well. Being the exhorter and and putting yourself in a position to receive exhortation from those that are that are grouped with you, um, so that this does play itself out the way that it needs to. Any other thoughts? Yeah, and that—that that was the two thoughts I wanted to, to to leave you with. Is, am I doing this? Am I doing this with anybody? Is there anybody that would say I need me? They need me uh, as a support system to continue to persevere. Am I playing that type of role so intentionally with somebody that they would say that I'm that person for them? That I help them persevere, and then also thinking through who are the people that I've identified in my life that I rely upon to keep me believing. We all need those relationships. We need people in our life that help us persevere, and we need to be a person that's helping other people to persevere. Can you identify those people? And if not, what's it going to take for you to become more intentional to be that type of person and to put yourself around people that can be that type of person for you? Okay? We're going to close today um, as we do each time we do application Sunday by partaking of the Lord's Supper. Um, I'm going to lead us in in that just now, and Tyson's going to come, and we're going to close singing together as a means of encouragement as we prepare to leave as well. Um, This is a great way for us to wrap up our application each week because what we're we're confessing by partaking the Lord's Supper is that we are still saying yes to Jesus, that we are still hoping, uh, and not a wishful thinking, but a confident assurance that the blood represented through the grape juice that the perfect righteousness, his life, his body represented through the bread is what will save us on that day. So we've been saved, we have been justified, and we are assured that God has started a work that will be completed. But we are reminded that we start another week tomorrow and there's going to be temptations that we face and we have a responsibility to persevere and pursue the right things as we are being saved with that future hope of one day being fully set free from sin and the presence of death forever. And so we wait for that, long for that final glorified state. And that's represented through the Lord's Supper today. We're, we're told to partake of this until Jesus comes back. Um, and so we partake once again as, as a believing family. You're invited to partake with us, whether you're a member of Sovereign Hope or not. You are encouraged to partake if you're a Christian, because we do believe this is a a step of faith by Christian people. Um, they are saying that, that they have accepted the... The sacrifice of Jesus, and so we invite all Christians that are here this morning to partake. Um, as always, you're going to be invited to partake at any point during this time of singing and reflection. Uh, the elements are in the back for you to pull from. You can pull the piece of bread, dip it in the juice, and then take your seat. Once again, um, you're invited to spend some time in personal prayer and worship as well. Um, if you feel uh, feel called to do that, um, we do want to partake in the right manner, and so. There may be sins that you've been harboring this week and, and not saying no to that need to be confessed. Um, not because you need to regain God's love, but just as, a, as, a, as a, an activity, a reminder to yourself um, that Jesus is better than anything this world has to offer. Um, and so we, we partake in that today um, through the Lord's Supper as a public expression to each other um, that Jesus is better than this world. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to be together with our church family this morning. I thank you for the encouragement that's available to us through being in the word and talking out the word together and how to apply it. God, we thank you for uh, the Lord's Supper and how it is a tool for encouragement as well. I thank you that um, as I am reminded that my life is grounded in the life and death of Jesus that I am worshiping with other people that believe the same thing. and So, God, I pray that partaking of this together will act as an encouragement. And Father, as we sing together, that we would be encouraged, that we've been saved, that we are being saved, and that one day we will truly be saved forever in your presence. We thank you for all of your blessings, for all of your good promises. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.